Welcome to the 39th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions and a deep dive into the NBA. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NBA, where the 76ers beat the Hawks 126-104. to Patrick correctly picked the 76ers. The Trailblazers beat the Nets 128-109. to Patrick in- incorrectly picked the Nets. However, he picked the Nets only if Kevin Durant played, and he didn't. So we're not going to count that game in our weekly tally. Unlike the one with Joel Embiid, because I've not been predicting very well recently, I'm not very lenient on, on losses that I should not claim. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's a fair application of the rule. All right, the Suns beat the Jazz 121-100. to Patrick incorrectly picked the Jazz. And the Nuggets beat the Clippers 110-104. Patrick incorrectly picking the Clippers leaving Patrick at a 1-2 and two record in his NBA predictions. With a slight asterisk. Yeah. With a slight asterisk, but we'll go with 1-2 and two according to our uh, rules of not getting negatively impacted by adverse By injuries. the fact that I predict probably two, three, two, three days in advance, when if you predict two or three seconds in advance, you might not even get a game-time decision right. Correct. All right, we'll move over to Major League Baseball. The Padres took two or three games from the Giants. Patrick incorrectly picked the Giants in that series. The Mets took two or three games from the Phillies. Patrick incorrectly picked the Phillies. The Indians took two or three games from the White Sox. Patrick incorrectly picked the White, the White Sox. And uh, showing his consistency this week, the Mariners took two or three games from the Angels with, you guessed it, Patrick incorrectly picking the Angels. So okay. Patrick was entirely reliable this week in okay. the MLB, going 0-4 okay. in his predictions. 1-6 okay. overall. Dropping your winning percentage, I think, below 600 for the first time this year. You're one. 111 and 77, a 590 winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts slash excuses. Uh, well, I wanted to make the numbers look good for my overall record, so I wanted to make it only two numbers, so I had to get it to 111 and 77 on the dot, otherwise it wasn't going to work, so I had to do that and very that's purposefully. Like full house. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a, good, it's a good hand I got there if I'm playing some cards or something. Um, I would like to note, yeah, the 76ers, even they were down 13 in the first quarter and then ended up... Uh, Killing the Hawks in Trey Young's return after they beat them by 40 the night before with Trey Young not playing for the Hawks. Uh, I, we talked about the Trailblazers Nets thing. If anybody recalls a few weeks ago, there was a situation where I said if Joel Embiid plays, uh, I'm picking the Sixers, but he didn't play, but I kind of didn't specify. Uh, too well that I literally meant he has to play for me to pick them. This time I went very in-depth and said, if Kevin Durant is the only all-star playing for the Brooklyn Nets, they will win the game. He was not the only all-star playing, but he was not playing at all. The only all-star playing was Kyrie Irving, but that's not what I said because, again, Kevin Durant playing the Blazers as the only star is a big difference than Kyrie Irving playing the Blazers, especially considering that the Blazers notoriously have a three-headed trio of ridiculous guards, but nobody to guard Kevin Durant. So very, it, it impacts that game a lot. But moving on from that, I got the Suns thing completely wrong. I honestly thought the Jazz would come out with more of a fire to try to claim the number one seed, which they have now lost. But we'll talk, to, we'll talk more about that later. Uh, and the Nuggets beating the Clippers, I, I just, there's something about it that I just can't pick the Nuggets to continue long win streaks without Jamal Murray. It just does not feel like every big game they play, they should be winning when they're on eight-game win streaks, five-game win streaks, six-game win streaks. It, it just doesn't feel right. So I picked the Clippers because they were even hotter. I mean, they're playing without Kawhi Leonard, but 
if you've watched the Clippers, you know they should be pretty used to that because they pretty much do that every other game. Um, and then moving on to the MLB, I think if you actually took stats, I missed two game. I missed being two and two by literally probably about three feet and four inches. Um, the Giants in a game, in game one of their series, they lost three to two. However, in the I think it was the top of the eighth inning. They were down 3-1, to one, and Darren Ruff hit a grand slam, only for it to be overturned by replay because he, well, it was fouled. I'm not saying that it was a bad ruling or anything. It's pretty obvious. Frankly, we'll talk about umpires on a different podcast, but um, I, I don't know how you miss foul and fair, fair calls on home runs. It's pretty simple. Um, if you just look down the line and just see if it goes to the right of the foul pole or the left. So, don't know how they're missing that. I've seen at least 10 of those this year, but regardless of what it was... It could have been 5-3, to three, and if I had made this prediction three years ago before replay existed, then I would have been at least 1-3. and three. And the same thing happened... Oh, and by the way, after that grand slam, the guy struck out on the next pitch, and then they lost 3-2 to two in that game. And since they only lost one game in the series, if they had won that one, they would have been 2 out of 3. Uh, and then the Mets against the Phillies... Well, the Phillies, I will say, got gifted a free win earlier this year on an Alec Bohm slide where he according to umpires touched the plate but it according to but according to cameras and footage he didn't come close to it probably missed by three inches uh so to be quite honest the pendulum is swinging back to even with them but it's kind of annoying that it had to happen when i predicted them but uh, if anybody saw it andrew mccutcheon was called out running out was called out running the base paths uh, directly in the dirt, and they called him out of the base pass, and it wasn't a reviewable play, and they actually, they gave the Mets a double play in the eighth inning in a 4-4 to tie off of that, when in reality, they called the guy at first safe to begin with, and they overturned that call, but they couldn't overturn the call of McCutcheon running out of the base pass, because in the rule book, it states that, quote, it's a judgment call, which means it's non-reviewable. That's a really dumb rule. Um, but it isn't a judgment call, apparently, if a ball hit the railing or not. And why do the Phillies have to have a grounds rule that a railing is part of the fence? Don't ask me. I don't want to talk about it. I'm very mad about it. If anybody didn't see it, Reese Hoskins missed a home run by literally an inch and a half because it hit the very top of a railing, but the way that the Phillies... The railing above the fence. Yes, the railing above the fence, which also counts as part of a railing. Um, and the way that it works at in Philadelphia is that if the if the ball bounces off of that railing or off of that scoreboard wall, they call it, uh, and heads back into play, it is a ground rule double. But if it bounces up and over, it's a home run. They initially ruled that it hit the seats and the Phillies tied the game up in the ninth, uh, eight to eight. But then they ruled after replay that it only hit the top and Reese Hoskins only got credited with a double, and then Bryce Harper struck out on the next at bat, and the Phillies lost. So I should have been two and two. Um, well, I'll say I at least should have been one and three because the Phillies got two calls blown that actually were very, very significant against them. Whereas the Giants one, I mean, it, it wasn't a blown call. So, I mean, I don't really care about that. However, I would like to add Reese Hoskins also did make an error the inning before that basically cost them the game and allowed the Mets to get an extra run. So he thought he had made up for it by tying the game. And in fact, that one run error actually ended up costing them the game because it would have been an extra innings. Uh, anyway, Mariners, I don't know how they're still winning games. I'm, I'm going to be quite honest. The Angels dropped a goose egg after, after I think they scored 10 runs 
And yeah, they they scored. They won ten to five, and then they did not score when their pitch only gave up two. So they could have had a pretty good outing to use, and instead they just wasted it with no run support. And I don't know what's going on with the White Sox. I mean, they're seven and three in their last ten, but the two they chose to lose were the two I needed them to win. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, ju- I'll judge it to some unlucky things. Maybe that'll swing back in my favor, just like umpires and replay swung against the Phillies this week. Well, maybe we should do a thing on, on ground rules in baseball, crazy ground rules, because baseball's the one sport that the, the rules are different. The, the rule is not standard for anything. Rules are different. Every stadium, certain stadiums have quirky things. You yeah, should hit. the home run seats at Dodger Stadium, if it hits a, if it hits a set of nachos and it bounces back into the field of play, should that be counted as not a home run anymore because they added those new seats? Who knows? They yeah, could make the rules some, if they felt like some it. Some seasons, if the ball hits a catwalk above, some sorry, stadiums, if it hits a catwalk, in the roof above the field of play, it's in play, and you can catch it off at others. It's a different others. Rule. If it lands on top of it, technically runners can keep. I mean, there are so many. But maybe we, that'll be the future rules. podcast. So I, I, the one thing I'm curious about in Philadelphia, which yeah. I don't think we know the answer, if the ball hits the top of the fence and then bounces and, hits and the then hits again. the railing and then bounces back in, is that still a ground rule double or is that a? Home are you run? saying because if it? Are you saying if it hits the top, the top of, the, of the scoreboard fence and then yes. also the railing? And then it also hits the railing. No, it would it would be it would be in play because that, the rule is just that if it hits any of it, it, the rule states that both of them count as part of the wall. Is basically the idea. So it's like only is that the, wall the railing is just a guardrail so that fans don't tumble over the poorly designed scoreboard wall that if people leaned over would literally so fall onto could, the field. A ball could actually hit the top of the fence and go under the railing and be a home run if it made it into. If the it season. went under the rail, I don't. I. I think it technically could because actually in the in the so in, the, in the official rules the 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 language they use is if it rebounds into play or if it bounds into the stand. So right. technically, if a ball were to fit under the railing, although if you look at the railing, it's not possible well, for it to it do is, that. Um, it, it, if you look at it, it's like it's like a one inch gap. It's, it's not better not be able to get through that fit. railing because otherwise, it, a ball it cannot, that's hit shorter it it could can't. be a home run than a ball hit longer. It However, a ball could get stuck on that fence because of the way that railing works, and it could probably get trapped under it and. That might also be a ground rule double because that's similar to if it gets trapped under outfield fences, which always happens where players yeah. just put their hands up and call for time. Yeah, it's a weird, weird rule. And I honestly, when I saw it, I was like, oh, but it hit the railing. It's obviously a home run. But I, I, I guess the, I guess the railing they're just saying is, an is an extension of the fence, which is weird to me, but I, that's what it is, so... All right. Well, maybe maybe on a future podcast in the in the dog days of summer, we'll, we'll go over <laughs> the craziest ground rules in in Major League Baseball. Uh, that does it for this uh, segment with Patrick's predictions. Uh, his predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. I promise you, he won't do worse in the MLB next week than he did this week. Okay. Let's let's move uh, on. Okay. Let's move on to our weekly NBA recap uh, and start with the most impressive teams of the week in the National Basketball Association. Number one, the Phoenix Suns. They are they went four and zero this week, and they reclaimed the number one seed in the West and the overall best record in the league. They are tied with the Jazz, but they do own the tiebreaker over them. Um, actually, probably by by virtue of their win over them this week, they beat the Knicks this week. They beat the Clippers this week. They beat the Jazz, and they beat the Thunder. Obviously, the biggest week, the biggest one of the week is over the Thunder. No, uh, obviously it's, not. Well, maybe on a point margin. Yeah, exactly. Probably, <laughs> um, but. No, I mean, the Knicks have been playing super well recently, so anytime they lose, I wouldn't say it's a surprise, especially to a team of the caliber of the Nets, or of the Suns, I mean, to the Nets too, but um, I I think they've been playing well enough that it's hard to pick against them, frankly. 
for the Clippers, they were also playing pretty well at the time. Uh, they were they were in the middle of I think a five and one stretch, which is pretty good in the NBA, especially when you're playing without a star. And uh, the Jazz are the Jazz. They're forty six and eighteen. They're there for a reason. Although the Suns did did make they did stake their claim for the number one overall seed, and now all they have to do is play even throughout the rest of the season to keep that one seed over the Jazz, and frankly, probably get the number one overall seed. I, I think they're three games ahead of the best team in the East, so I think they're they're too far ahead to lose that one, especially because of how well they're playing right now. Uh, and hey, maybe Chris Paul is making an MVP case this year, which would be one of the weirdest players to ever win an MVP, but when you look at LeBron's injury, you look at Joel Embiid's injury, it... it, it there have been some really weird late-season entries into it because of Steph Curry's crazy three-point shooting month. You have the Suns being the number one overall seed going from ninth, so there's got to be... He's got to be pretty valuable, doesn't he? Yes. Um, that, but then you got the solo show of Nikola Jokic and the fact that the Nuggets are still playing like one of the best teams and actually moving up in the playoffs without Jamal Murray, who was their playoff hero last year. So there are a lot of interesting candidates, and then you obviously have to factor in injuries, I think, Maybe without injuries, Joel Embiid and Jokic would be the race. But when you consider the fact that Joel's been out and these other guys haven't, he's not. So enough talk about individual stuff. And by the way, moving on to Nikola Jokic. Number two were the Denver Nuggets. They're on a five-game win streak right now. They went 4-0 this week. They're third place in the West. I mean, not not a very uh, challenging schedule, if I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, they played the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Raptors, and the Clippers. That game against the Clippers, though, was very important because... Yeah. That allowed them to take the three seed in in the West, and we'll talk more about the Clippers later. Um, But I I think that is what you need to do with a schedule like this, and there's another team who played very similar teams who did not do that uh, that we'll also get to later. They might be your number one most disappointing Uh, team. Yeah, but they the Nuggets have really played themselves into third place. I mean, a few weeks ago we were talking about if the Lakers could catch up to them with with uh, getting their injured players back. And now that's not even close to being a conversation. So good for the Nuggets for playing this well, especially without Jamal Murray. It seems like they've actually rallied around the injury rather than gotten down because of it. Um, And then the number three team that was most impressive this week was the Philadelphia 76ers. They've now claimed the number one seed in the East. They beat the Thunder. They beat the Hawks twice. They beat the Spurs in overtime. Uh, not going to lie, I did not watch that Spurs game, so I'm not quite sure how it got to overtime, but the Spurs are fighting for a playoff spot, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're playing a lot harder than the Sixers are in a game like that. But hey, the Sixers claim the number one seed in the East, uh, not from beating the Nets, as I said, and last week I actually said I think the Nets get the number one seed just because the Sixers cannot play the Nets and can't steal wins off of them. But the Nets actually dropped a game to the Bucks, which in, st- which in turn allowed the 76ers to climb up here to the number one seed, they're up by a half a game. All right, let's move to your most disappointing teams of the week. We foreshadowed, without naming them, who the most disappointing team is. We know they're in the West. Who is it, Patrick? Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I said Los Angeles on purpose to make you think that I might have picked the Clippers, although, we'll again, we'll get to them later. Um, the Lakers went 1-3 this week. They have a three-game losing streak right now. They only won a game at the beginning of the week against the Orlando Magic, who are, frankly, one of the worst teams in the league, if not... I mean, they're up there. I'm not going to have a conversation about who's the worst team, but actually, maybe we could do that, but not right now. <laughs> um, so, that's a... that. Who cares if you beat the Magic? That does not convey playoff team in the West, because playoff team in the West has to beat the Warriors, not 
the Magic, and also they have to beat the Grizzlies and the Pacers. That's what a playoff team in the West looks like. Uh, they lost to the Wizards. They lost to the Kings with LeBron returning and De'Aaron Fox not playing at home. Yeah, and they lost to the Ra- and they lost to the Raptors, and LeBron actually reaggravated his injury. Um, and uh, uh, is probably not playing tonight against Denver. Is the report is that he's reaggravated that and he's not playing. Um, that would be a huge blow to Lakers. So not only are they disappointed from a results standpoint, but they, from an injury standpoint, it's not looking very good for them in the future. Uh, that's not what you want to do. They're now tied for the sixth seed in the West, or tied for the fifth through seventh seed, you could say. Um, although they are in sixth place right now, and you do not want to be tied with a team with any team uh, for a play-in spot, and especially you do not want to be tied in the West where you know that you're actually not that much more talented than the team that's behind you, as opposed to maybe in the East, if you're saying, we're tied with the Pacers, we're fine, then that's one thing. But you're not saying that about the Blazers and the Mavericks. Um, So really disappointing that the Lakers have fallen this far. We'll see what happens if LeBron can, A, come back this week, and B, if he can play them them out of the play-in. The next team was, as I said... Another Los Angeles team, this time the Clippers, they went 0-3 last week. However, they're, they're way higher up in the standings, so I'm not going to fault them. Um, they're on a three-game losing streak, didn't lose the last game of the week before. However, they lost to the Pelicans, the Suns, and the Nuggets. They basically forfeited their chance at the two-seed uh, with that loss to the Suns, and frankly kind of did it with the loss to the Pelicans, too, because they dug an even bigger hole to uh, an even bigger hole to try to climb themselves out of, and they now cannot do that, pretty much. Um... That loss to the Suns gives the Suns the season tiebreaker, I believe, over them, too. So not only are they now three and a half games back of the Suns, but they are also even a half game back of the Nuggets, who they lost to. And we'll talk about this more in depth soon. But this is not what you want also from the Clippers, is you can't be losing these games when you're trying to fight for seeding. Um, if you look at who you're playing at six and who you're playing at five, well, frankly, there are team, there are three teams tied for it right now. So maybe in another year, it would make a bigger difference. So I don't think the Clippers are too angry that they're moving down. However, when that home court advantage comes into mind in later rounds, if you, say, imagine a world where the Nuggets beat the Suns and the Clippers beat the Jazz, and now you have three versus four, you would rather be the three seeds that you can get home court, although it's highly unlikely that they'd have to play, um, that they'd be playing the four seed in the second round, but... It is still in the realm of within the realm of possibility. So you want to have home court advantage whenever possible. That that three seed advantage would be a huge deal, uh, and that half game difference from losing to the Nuggets is a big deal for now. All right, and sticking in the West, your third most disappointing team. Another playoff team in the West. This one goes to the Utah Jazz. This they probably have the best record of all time of most disappointing team of the week, but. Two and two when you're fighting for the number one seed is not good enough, and when you also consider who they lost to, it's pretty bad. Um, They had four games this week. Only one of them was against a team in the playoffs. One of them was against a team that's high in the Kate Cunningham sweepstakes uh, standings. The other one, and then the other two are two mid-tier teams in the Kate Cunningham sweepstakes. Um, They only beat the Kings and the Raptors this week, although they did beat the Kings by 50, so uh, it's not like they had that awful of a week, but... When you consider beating the Kings by 50, you should not be losing to the Timberwolves. I think it was the night before or the night after. Uh, and then beating the Raptors is not really much of an accomplishment either. 
And losing to the Suns is the one that really put 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 them on this list for me. Uh, well, that and Timberwolves loss. Well, yes, but I no the Suns is are, are really the it's really the loss that put me on there. If they were two and one with the loss to the Timberwolves, I wouldn't care. But it's the fact that they played in a game that pretty much could have guaranteed not really guaranteed but almost guaranteed them the number one seed overall in the league and in the West at the very least, um, and they just fell flat. They lost by twenty to the Suns, and now the Suns are able to reclaim that one seed. They have the tiebreaker over the Jazz. And I think it's just disappointing that they lost the one seed after how great of a season they've been having. It just goes to attest to how great the league has been this year, I think, especially in the West. There are a lot of great teams with great records at the top. A lot of teams with 40 wins very close to the end of a 72-game season is a pretty good mark. Um, but yeah, that, that Jazz loss going out of the one seed is pretty important and disappointing. All right, let's uh, wrap up the look back with the player of the week. I said Boston would be in the with not in the play-ins uh and would be at the sixth seed they might not be right now but it looks like if jason tatum the player of the week can keep playing like this they might just not matter what seed it's in and they might just beat everybody because jason tatum averaged 42.7 points per game this week and a flat and six and six and six flat between rebounds and assists he was 54.4 percent from the field 59.1% 59.1% from three, and also played 41 minutes per game this week because of an overtime game. Uh, again, as I said last week with Julius Randle to the Knicks, uh, his play time and his success is very, very important to the success of the Celtics as a team. Not to mention, he set another career high, which I think was his third career high or fourth career high of the season in scoring output, with a 60-point game in a 32-point comeback win over the Spurs, where he willed his team back into the game and into overtime. A ridiculous comeback that he had there. And um, look, Tatum's had a great season, and frankly, for a guy who had a career high going into the season of, I think, 40 on the dot, to be averaging almost 27 points per game, it's pretty insane that he's up there in average because... If you're if you're never dropping forty, how are you ever going to average twenty seven? He's been so consistent, uh, he's been so good for them this season, and he's the reasons why he's the reason why the Celtics are in this resurgence and might actually be able to avoid that play in tournament. Yeah, assuming uh, his injury is not bad, he he had a collision, right? I watched the collision. I, I watched it. It doesn't look too bad. Uh, he 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 didn't need help to walk off the floor. Jalen Brown, his teammate, did, and it was a friendly fire injury actually, where they both. Uh, I wouldn't say buckled, but bumped into each other's feet. They kind of both kicked each other in the ankle, uh, so pretty painful. But Jalen Brown needed help off, whereas Jason Tatum actually tried to stay in the game <laughs> in the fourth quarter. So I-, I think he'll be fine in the future. And that's what he indicated, but it's just yeah. a question mark. Let's hope, yeah. let's hope for the reasons meant, you mentioned that uh, that injury is not serious for him, um, well, also for Jalen Brown, but also for, for Jason Tatum. So, uh, all right, well, that wraps up the, the look back at last week. Um, as we had been doing recently... Uh, I'll pose a few questions to you on the NBA. And last week, those questions were focused on the East. This week, we'll flip it and start there uh, in the East and then talk more in-depth on the West. So in the East, the 76ers are a half game ahead of the Nets for the number one seed. Who will end up with the number one seed in the East? Okay, so we're gonna have to do a running we're gonna have to do a running list of this because I think I've probably flip flopped my answer for this maybe <laughs> five week. times, yeah. like at, at least every week. Frankly, I don't know how they're playing enough games to even swing the standings this much. 
I didn't think four games could swing standings when people aren't having crazy losing records like the Lakers, like two and a half games in, in one team's favor. But the only thing that's been consistent is that the Bucks have stayed literally exactly three games behind at every single time we've recorded the podcast for the last three weeks. So thank God for the Bucks for some consistency. <laughs> but between the Nets and the Sixers, it's really, really a coin flip. Um, however... There is one very important thing. I noted it last week that the Sixers had a 413 uh, remaining win percentage combined of their schedule, and that if there was a reason for the Nets to fall below the Sixers, it would be the Bucks beating the Nets and helping the Sixers out, and then the Sixers destroying their really easy schedule. Which they did. They last actually week. played two of their hardest games last week. Were actually on against the Hawks uh, twice, and also their game against. The Spurs, I think, were literally their hardest games remaining. Um, They don't play anyone in the top eight of their conference other than the Heat, and they don't play anybody in the top eight of the West. Their schedule is ridiculously easy. Even if they were to slip up against the Heat, they'd still go 7-1 or 8-1 in the rest of the season. Meanwhile, the Nets play the Bucks again, uh, who just beat them, mind you. The Mavericks and the Nuggets. You're going to have to play Luka Doncic and Chris Stapps Porzingis fighting for a spot to be not in the plane that they've been complaining about all season. And you're also, so you're going to have to play against really angry Luka Doncic, although he's also one one technical away from a suspension. Yes. So who knows if he's even going to be playing in that game, depending on what happens the night before. Um, but you're also going to be playing against the Nuggets, and the Nuggets are also going to be fighting, and we're going to talk about this soon. They're going to be fighting for a seed that's very important. So when you're playing hungry teams like that, you gotta be you gotta be on on upset alert, especially because these teams are very talented. So I think because they already have a half game advantage, although again that's literally closed by one win, um, I think the Sixers are going to take it. Just because I honestly see a world where they go nine and zero in the rest of the season, uh, I really see a world where they only lose to the Heat, just because the Heat are for some reason anti. They're they're so good at being anti other team relies on big men to win and they always seem to win those games but I also think it's a little ridiculous to say that a team will go 13 and 0 at the end of the season when every team is trying to do something so I think that's a little too much um but I will give them I will give them 8 and 1 or 7 and 1 to end the year and I think that'll be enough I don't think the Nets are going to go 8 and 0 to surpass that all right, I'm not going to ask that question again and you're locked in with the Sixers all right fine <laughs> pretty safe bet given the remaining schedule and with that it'll be the other way all right, let's move over to the West, where this uh, talking about the one seed again uh, in the West, that is. The Suns and Jazz are tied for the number one seed uh, and the number one overall seed in the NBA. The Suns technically are the number one seed because they have the tiebreaker over the Jazz, um, and they would take one seed, obviously. They take the one seed, obviously, they have a tied record. Yep, there's Who's no got, other games between them left to decide that. So who will take the number one seed in the West? And maybe I'll say, and will this is a, probably a dumb question, but... Let's start with the last one. Will the number one seed in the West be the number one overall seed? Absolutely. Even with the 76ers remaining schedule? It does not matter. I think that would rely on the Jazz or the Suns going at best, at worst, probably four and four. And when you have that good... These teams are 46 and 18. They're not going four and four. I figured I'd I'd throw you a little curveball there. Fine. So then the question becomes, given that you think that the number one seed in the West will have the number one overall seed in the NBA. Who's it going to be? I think we have to look at the schedule again on this one. Um, I noted, I, I did not write out these teams' full schedules, but I assume for the one seed in, in the West, in the best conference, that 
any team against a non-playoff team whatsoever is a free win. Um, so I noted, and, and I noted it for some other teams, but these teams are too good to lose to those kinds of teams. Uh, the Suns play the Hawks, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Warriors, and the Blazers. So there are five of those teams that they play that are in the top eight of their conference. And the Jazz only play the Nuggets, the Warriors, and the Trailblazers. Now this is really interesting because... One plays a higher quantity of opponents, but the other one I would say plays a higher quality. They both play the Blazers and the Warriors, so you can call those a net a net neutral, Wash. pretty much. Um, so you're basically balancing how many losses do the Suns have against the Hawks, the Knicks, and the Lakers, and how many losses do the Jazz have against the Nuggets. Frankly, I'm inclined to say both teams win all of those games, but at the same time, the way the NBA works, I, I think there's no way both of them go 8-0 to finish the season. I mean, it would be awesome to see two teams fight it out like that. Frankly, we saw it last season. The Suns went 8-0 in the bubble and still did not make the play-in, even though the Grizzlies went 1-7 in the bubble. And I think the Blazers ended up getting it from going 6-2 or 7-1 or something. It would be awesome to see that kind of a race again, and this time for the number one overall seed. However, I would say the Suns match up very, very well with the Hawks especially because of guard play. Uh, they match up well with the Knicks. I'm just saying that because they just beat them. Uh, Warriors and Blazers, I think both of the, both the Suns and the Jazz match up pretty evenly with. So, again, I'll call it a wash. Maybe they both lose one of those games, but at the same time, would not affect it. And then in terms of the Jazz versus the Nuggets or the Suns versus the Lakers, the way the Lakers are playing right now, I would actually say it's more likely that the, that the Jazz lose to the Nuggets than the Warriors uh, or than the Lakers beat the Suns. So because of that, I'm going to pick the Suns. I actually think that the Suns will end up a game ahead of the Jazz, just looking at that schedule. But again, the other important thing is that even if the Suns were to drop a game, as long as the Jazz drop the game a game two, the tie goes to the Suns. So I think the most likely situation is that we see both these teams going 6-2 and two or 5-3, and three, something in that range, and then you end up having the Suns win. Although I would not be surprised whatsoever if the Jazz took it. All right, let's go sort of uh, skipping a little bit down to the middle tier of the uh, Western playoff race. The Mavs, the Lakers, and the Blazers currently have identical records, so they're technically tied for the fifth to seventh seeds in the West. However, the Mavericks get the fifth seed because they're leading their division, and the Lakers are technically the sixth seed because they have a better conference record than the Blazers currently do. Uh, with that in mind, who ends up where and who will be the unlucky one in the play-in games? This one is really, really hard to answer. Um, although I'll go into so much and I'll foreshadow a little bit, and then I'll still end up at back at uh, back at my starting point. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to what the standings are now, but I'm gonna do some mental gymnastics to get there. Um, the The Mavericks play the Heat, the Nets, and the Grizzlies. The Lakers play the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Suns, and the Knicks. And the Blazers play the Hawks, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Suns, and the Nuggets. Ooh. So if you look at what I just mentioned. You see that those Dallas are the only plays. Teams. Those are the, the, more, those are the only games. teams that I th that are in the playoff right. that are in the playoff picture whatsoever in either uh, league. Um, it's pretty simple. Dallas has the tiebreakers over all of them, so even if they were to tie, even if they were to drop those three hard games, which is possible, uh, especially if you get a Luka Doncic uh, outrage and he gets suspended for a game against maybe the Grizzlies, that could actually push the Grizzlies. Over, over the Mavericks, and to be honest, the last time they played, it took Luka Doncic making a game-winning buzzer beater off of one foot that he said he just threw up as a prayer uh, to win that game, and by the way, that might end up very important by the end of the season. It might leave them in the, out of the play-ins, which would be crazy. 
um, be a, be a play we'd have to revisit at the end of the season. I think they'll at least be able to go two and one against the Heat, the Nets, and the Grizzlies. And even if they go one and two, when you compare it to the Lakers playing the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Blazers, the Suns, and the Knicks, I would bet on the Lakers losing two of those games also. And when you bet on the Blazers playing the Hawks, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Suns, and the Nuggets, first of all, one of them has to lose to each other. So one of them has a guaranteed loss. Um, Then you have the Blazers playing the Hawks, who they'll probably beat them. Let's say the the Lakers take the game over the Blazers, which I think they will. Um, Then they play the Jazz and the Suns. I'm taking the Jazz and the Suns over the Blazers, as I indicated before, although that could be the one game that either of them lose. Um, and then they also play the Nuggets. So I would say the Blazers lose three of those games, and I would say the Lakers only lose to the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Suns, but then because they beat the Blazers, I would assume that gives them another tiebreaker over them, and that would put the Lakers in sixth, the Trailblazers in seventh, and Dallas in fifth because they have all the tiebreakers, and I don't think they're going to lose that much anyway. All right, so you think the status quo holds. Uh, Let's continue and ratchet down the next rung, actually the last rung of the playoff hunt, uh, in the West, that's with the uh, 8, 9, and 10 seeds. San Antonio Spurs are right now clinging to the 10th seed in the West. Uh, they're two and a half games ahead of the Pelicans and four and a half ahead of the Kings for that last play-in spot. The Warriors are one notch ahead, only a half game ahead of the Spurs. And the Grizzlies are an eighth, only one game ahead of the Spurs. So with only nine games left in the season for the Spurs... And only eight games left for the Kings and the Pelicans, who are just barely ahead of the Spurs in those eight and nine spots. Are the Spurs locked into the 10th seed? Um, or could Memphis or Golden State also lose their seeding? This is this is a hard one, you know. And I actually went 8 through 12 to, re, to reseed where I think all of them are going to end up. And it does not hold like the other one does, like the last one did. And here's why. The Spurs, I'm going to mention every single team they play in the playoffs that they that uh, that's remaining on their schedule. They play the Jazz twice. They play the Kings, who will be fighting them for that spot. So while they're not in the playoff picture, um, they, they're still going to be fighting and playing probably more like a playoff team than a Jazz team that could be resting players. Who knows? Um, they play the Blazers. They play the Bucks. They play the Nets. They play the Knicks. And they play the Suns twice. Uh, I didn't leave out a single game on their schedule because their schedule is that hard. The other ones that I've talked about before, I left out three or four games. Their schedule is against all playoff teams except for the Kings, and when the Kings are fighting them for that spot, you can almost treat it as as hard of a game than it probably would be against the Bucks or the Knicks, I would say. That is a brutal um, closing schedule. It, their schedule is awful that they have, especially considering that they play four games against the Jazz and the Suns combined. And I just talked about how the Jazz and the Suns are fighting for the one seed. When you have those teams playing that hard, I'd say that that's four losses right off the bat. Now you're relying on getting wins over the Kings. We'll give them that win. Then you have to beat the Blazers, the Bucks, the Nets, or the Knicks. I'll give them one of those games. I have no idea who they're going to beat, but one of them, sure. They go two and six for the rest of the season under that under that um, guess. You're only two and a half games ahead of New Orleans. New Orleans plays the Warriors twice, the 76ers, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, and actually the Warriors again. Uh, So they play them three times. I say the Pelicans might be able to take two out of three against the Warriors. I think that's possible. Um, I'd say they lose to the 76ers, but I think they can also, I think they have a good chance of then taking two out of the four between the 76ers, Hornets, Grizzlies, and Mavericks. And then when you end up with that schedule... 
Now you're looking at, for them, about maybe four and three, I think that would be, four and four, five and three in that range. When you're going against two and six, that would actually pull them ahead. So I'm going to say, and by the way, the and sorry, they also play the Lakers. I would say the Kings have the easiest schedule and it's not even close. Um, they play the Thunder three times. So that's probably <laughs> three wins right there as yeah. opposed to the Spurs having the four losses Although right the off the bat. this year, you never know. Well, I mean, but then again, they did just beat the Lakers in LeBron's return. So I, I don't know whether that means they're due for more wins and a long win streak to end the season or if that means they're due to go back to a regression just when they get their fans' hopes up, right. um, which has been a common theme of the season. They also play the Pacers. They play the Spurs once, as I mentioned. They play the Grizzlies twice and they play the Jazz um, I think the Grizzlies are going to, I mean, every team here actually plays them except for the Spurs. I think the Grizzlies can maintain 2-1 and one or 1-2 one and two there, and they're going to be so far ahead of them that it's not going to matter. Um, however, with those schedules in mind, even with the Kings' schedule as easy as it is, four and a half games behind and even two behind the Pelicans, the Kings would have to go 8-0 and oh and hope that the Spurs go... Two and six, I think, to actually make the playoffs. Um, they would also have to hope that the Pelicans don't do better than five and three or six and two. It's too far of a long shot. So I do have it this way, though. I do have Sacramento getting 12th. Um, I have San Antonio falling to 11th. I do have New Orleans being 10th. Um, and I put two asterisks here and said, going out on a limb because wouldn't it be fun for this to happen? Who wouldn't love LeBron? I, again, I predicted that the Lakers take the sixth seed, but who wouldn't love to see LeBron and Zion, maybe the past against the future, you could say, in a play-in game, in this new idea that we just came up with this year, and now we're just throwing in two of the game's most polarizing players right into it. I would love to see it. Um, I'll take New Orleans at 10 because I like the entertainment value, frankly. However, I would say I think Golden State will take the eight. I, I'll say Golden State takes the eight seed over Memphis, um, just because it's a half a game of a difference, and I think the Warriors are just better, and the and the Grizzlies play a harder matchups, some harder matchups. So I think I'll take the Warriors to go eighth over the Grizzlies. Well, and finally, we skipped over them, but we may as well cover the entire playoff bracket in the West. Uh, the Nuggets are a half game ahead of the Clippers for the number three seed in the West. They are three and three and a half games back of the number one seed tied. Respectively. Respectively. And seven and six and a half games. Oops, flip that. Respectively. <laughs> six and a half and seven, res- respectively, ahead of the fifth seed. So basically what you're saying uh, is the Clippers and the Nuggets are kind of locked in a battle to for three the third and, four, and fourth yeah. seed. So let's translate that. The Nuggets and the Clippers are half a game apart of each other with the Nuggets a half game ahead of the Clippers. Um, for the number three seed, and they're base either those two teams are basically locked in the three and four seed. So, who's going to get the three seed, and who's going to get the four seed? The Nuggets play way too many good teams down the stretch. Um, they play the Lakers, the Knicks, the Jazz, the Nets, the Hornets, the Blazers. I say they lose two out of those games at the very least. Whereas the Clippers play the Lakers, the Knicks, and the Hornets. If they have the same record in those common games, you add the Nuggets playing the Nets and the Blazers onto it. That's not in the Jazz. That's not going to turn out well for them. And again, half game of a difference. So I actually think I, I actually don't know who the tiebreaker would go to, frankly. But I think I think the Clippers roll to a, over their really easy schedule, and I think they claim the number three seed there. All right. Well, we've covered the entire 
of playoff seating for the West, done a deep dive of the NBA. I think it's time to wrap things up for this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, May 7th, where we will, as always on our Friday podcast during the summer, talk about Major League Baseball and other significant events in the world of sports. And we will say goodbye to some teams that get eliminated from the NBA due to this podcast being a little long and say hello to the teams who have clinched their spots. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including tomorrow's NBA Power Rankings update, his picks for next weekend's games, and his Major League Baseball Power Rankings updates, which are posted on Saturdays. All of that, as usual, on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24, dot com. Thank you for listening.